Welcome, everybody, to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and today we are again at the Slip Angle Moto IQ Studios uh, here in Gardena, California, and I am joined by Mike Kojima. What's going on, Mike? I had my physical today, oh, yeah. so I'm so. Kinda... So why are you sitting down? Shouldn't you be standing up? You're sitting kind of crooked. <laughs> yeah, he kind of is. <laughs> I don't know, maybe kind of grumpy. I, I couldn't eat for 12 hours or something. Oh, and man. Then I had to... Get violated and yeah, wasn't cool. Did and the sad part did you is study you got for that test. That's what I want to know. The sad part is you paid to get violated too. Yeah, then I had to give a bunch of blood for all kinds of tests. And <laughs> yeah, wasn't so, too great. So Mike Kojima is in kind of rare element today. This is not the typical Mike Kojima that we're used to. No. So, but in studio today, uh, JC Manet came up. What's going on, JC? Yeah, not much. Just uh, glad to be here in the beautiful Moto IQ studios. Yeah, you're sitting on the uh, the nice black casting couch that we have here. Yes, I got my shots, so I feel <laughs> safe. Mike, well, I think this is what we need to do. We always need to have the guests sit on the casting couch. Yeah, and it's the you know easy clean pleatherette surface. <laughs> so I'm afraid to move. It's going to squeak, and you guys are going to think I'm farting. We need to put a black light in in here. Velvet Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for those of you listening, you may recognize uh, JC's name. JC's been around the Time Attack you know, world for, for quite a few years. I was kind of looking back on the internet, and there's stuff from 08, 09, you know, yep. long, long time, like 10 plus years at least. I'm not the oldest uh, guy in the business, but I've almost. Yeah. There's only a handful <laughs> of people have been doing it longer than me. Yeah. When, when did you start into Time Attack? Um, Sometime during 07, I think it was a Redline event at Cal Speedway, just okay. the street class car that, uh, same car I'm racing today, ironically, but it was just a little putt-putt race, nothing too crazy, and I I don't even remember how I finished, but it was fun, kind of got me hooked. Okay. So when did you actually start getting into track stuff? Well, I've uh, I raced motorcycles my whole life, okay. uh, road race stuff, AMA Pro stuff for a bunch oh, nice. of years, and nice. raced motocross for fun, not professionally, but for fun. Uh, raced, did a lot of karting for a while, won a couple of regional championships, so I kind of had it in my blood. Yeah. My uh, my dad, grandfather, and great-grandfather raced cars. Oh, really? <laughs> and uh, both my kids raced. My youngest one raced supercross professionally, so it's definitely uh, in the blood, I guess. Yeah. Um, the time attack thing kind of got me because I'd broken my hand real bad in, in a motorcycle accident and had a bunch of surgeries and couldn't really do much, but, uh, so I, but I could take my car to the track and buzz around and have fun and one thing led to another. I uh, was going to a shop in this area, Torrance area, that uh, I was paying to do a little upgrades to my car. And uh, they said, hey, we actually want to field a race car team, and we, we'd be happy to have you do the driver. You're doing pretty well. If we modify your car, can we do it? I'm like, sure. And so that was uh, 2007, I think. Okay. And that was Harmon Motive. Um, that's, they're long gone, but uh, uh, they did a lot of help with me. That a dyno did some tuning. Kind of, uh, It was a great era. We were... Uh, pretty much ended up being the people to beat in the street class. We won pretty much everything and got uh, track records and had a lot of fun and then went to modify class and had a lot of success there too. So nice. that's where the time attack part of my life yeah, <laughs> came so you've into been, play. You've been fielding your, your 06 STI for what, 12 years now? Yeah, pretty much. It, I put about 30,000 street miles on it okay. before I made it pretty much a race car. Okay. Yeah, and the thing is pretty wild. I mean, you brought it out to um, to Gridlife Street Special at Streets of Willow just a couple weeks weeks ago, and uh, things things pretty wild, man. Thanks. Yeah, it's a it's a labor of love. I uh, used to have a ton of help with Harmon, and then AQ Motorsports bought Harmon Motor. They helped me for a while, but for the last several years, it's just working on it myself at home. You okay, know, I, I've got. Uh, a bunch of buddies that help out and i also have people like church do tuning on it i'll have uh, 
uh, Frank from JRZ do my suspension tuning. Um, but pretty much all the design and concept and that stuff I do yeah. myself that I can. Okay. Um, well, you have quite the man cave. I do. Yeah, I'm spoiled. I uh, I moved to the San Fernando Valley a few years ago and have a great uh, workshop with lifts and equipment and everything I need. It was initially to work on motorcycles like my kids' supercross bikes, and I still mm. help some people doing uh, pro racing motorcycle stuff. But uh, mostly it's just a place to hang out and work on my race car. And okay. I'm going to start bringing up my motorcycle stuff over to you, yeah. man. <laughs> is, is it like built into your house or is this it's separate a separate building? building on the property? Oh, um, okay. But uh, it's <clears throat> well equipped. I mean, it's nice. I'm really spoiled. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the envy of any car guy. Your, well, you your, know, everybody's got a TV in the garage. They call it their uh, man cave, right? This thing is so far beyond that. I call it the lair. <laughs> the evil lair because it really is just i got a projection tv and a casting couch almost as nice and squeaky as the one here at the moto iq studios but uh it's a it's not i'm spoiled it's a it's a great place and it, it makes me not have to leave the house often which is great and um, and i work i do consulting for bird scooter company and oh yeah i'm able to do nice. that mostly from home so I get to play with my dogs, my cats, uh, watch TV, watch racing. And so when are you going to pitch to them that there needs to be some sort of bird scooter race? <laughs> well, we did have one at PRI. Oh, really? Um, whatever oh, that, un unsanctioned. Just unsanctioned, but yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah. it was like 10 degrees and freezing. But yeah, that was the first official non-sanctioned bird race. Yeah, I saw some of the, the grid life drivers were posting yeah, cruising yeah, around was, town with some funny. of their buddies. And yeah, yeah it, looked, it looked like a good time. Yeah, definitely. Nice. So, you know, obviously for you, kind of growing up in a racing family, that passion for driving and just performance vehicles kind of runs pretty strong. But what was kind of the first thing that you did when you kind of knew, like, hey, I might be a car guy or maybe I want to race motorcycles? Um, well, my motorcycle career started when I was probably 18, 19. I mean, I rode dirt bikes and trails and whatever, but I started racing, road race bikes back then and really loved it. Um, was a little bit natural at it at first and but didn't really have any good mentors to work with me and I was kind of learning myself along the way and that's a slow learning curve uh, compared to today where there's so much technology and information available if you yeah. seek it out on the internet or people um you know just uh uh like with my son racing supercross he has me full-time helping him and I have resources from all my years in the business, I own motorcycle dealerships up in Santa Barbara and work for different places. That's kind of my background. And uh, there's so much available now that people can really get good and cut out all the garbage and learning curve. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I just loved going fast. I feel like I was more naturally talented on four wheels than two. I feel like uh, I kind of had to learn a lot on two wheels mm -hmm. or in the four wheels. I mean, there's still tons of learn, of course, but yeah. I just felt like I belong on four wheels. Yeah. And so all those years racing motorcycles were... I probably should have focused on four wheels more, but well, it's funny the the learning curve for cars. You know, say you blow a blow a braking zone in a car, you know, you can kind of get out of it a little bit easier than you can if you were you know on a motorcycle. Definitely, um, it's a uh, you know obviously you can get hurt doing anything, but the consequence is more frequent uh, on a motorcycle and yeah. more painful. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you know, from from wrenching on on motorcycles and stuff like that growing up. You know, that transition into cars seems like it, it happened kind of naturally. But is there anything that you learned back then that kind of transitioned over as far as well, prep and stuff like that goes, maybe? As far as, uh, well, if I do, I like to work on my vehicles and drive them, race them. Mm -hmm. uh, it definitely helps to know how things work. Literally just behind the steering wheel or handlebars, you can be a better racer knowing what's working, what's not, um, and what 
you might need to work around if something's not working right that day or having the back of your mind what I'm going to check when I come back in the pits or whatever. It definitely helps like that. Um, I, I like doing both sides of it. I mean, I really like working on stuff. Um, and I really like racing it, but I also like helping people who are successful and, right. you know, so it, uh, uh, I, it's hard to say which side of it I like the best, you yeah. know, as I get older and fatter, I probably get in slower, but <laughs> I also am in many ways going faster at tracks with even less power than before. So I yeah. think I'm, my driving's still okay. I, so for, for cars, was the first car that you ever really tracked was your STI that yeah. you still track? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I drove like an idiot street racing, you know, <laughs> not officially street racing against people, but just yeah. driving way too fast everywhere. Yeah. And that's, a, you know, I'm lucky to have survived that era. I'm <laughs> glad my kids aren't into it because I wouldn't want them to have to be lucky to survive it. And I did a lot of motorcycle street riding and saw some people get hurt real bad. And yeah. that's what transitioned me into the racing. And once I started racing, I really didn't have a lot of desire to go fast on the street anymore because yeah. for one it wasn't as fun because it wasn't really that fast compared to the track and i could you know just so much faster on the track that the street was like eh, whatever yeah it just takes courage not skills to go fast on the street you know? i mean what's interesting to me you know going from motorcycles to cars obviously you're driving cars now on a lot of the same tracks that you used to race motorcycles right. on yeah. um what's a big difference there obviously you you have to know the track a little bit more intimately on a motorcycle because a bump can really upset the motorcycle a lot more. But do you think that any of that knowledge kind of transferred into your success in cars? Absolutely, uh, in a couple of ways. For one, um, dirt bikes are the best way to learn what suspension does because it's so dynamic and there's so much travel and the speeds are relatively low. You can really learn what does what and why. Right. Uh, then going motorcycle road racing, Obviously, the penalty for a mistake is higher, but same thing. You're a lot more in tune. It's a physical experience, not just a mental one. Where in a car, yeah, you get beat up a little bit, but it's you know 90% mental in a car. You know, right. like you can be a chubby older guy and still fast yeah. in a car, not on a motorcycle. Um, and yeah, and I rode most of these tracks on motorcycles. Most of my motorcycle racing was in the mid to late 80s. Okay. And then so I like didn't, when Riverside was still around. Yeah, and stuff I actually like that. raced the last race at Riverside oh, really? four years in a row. Oh, <laughs> because it's they, like shares farewell tour. Yeah. Well, they kept saying this will be the last one, and then yeah. the next year they have one more, and then the next year. So that was cool. I never raced Ontario. Okay. That was about that was the year little like right when you were uh, just how getting old into are it, you huh? uh 53 <laughs> shoot i'm older than you yeah well yeah that's why you've had your test today and <laughs> and i'm in, you still I'm have a couple of years yeah. until you get there uh yeah i raced the last race at riverside a few times scca too yeah i was on motorcycle your car stuff and uh, so i was really young so you must have been really young i well yeah i uh Started racing pretty much right out of high school, and uh, uh, so I think I, I, was, I was in my early twenties. Yeah, I was about been... twenty. I was. Oh, okay. I'm trying to think when was that Riverside race? It was probably I want to guess 80, like 86, 85, 86. 85, 86 they had a they had a couple, and yeah. I think I think the last last race at Riverside they had already torn down part of the track. Could so be. It I think they took out the back. I never did the long track. I think they had a long version that uh, yeah. after you got to that one U-turn by the grandstands, you come back, and there was another version where you yeah, keep going. Was, I never did the long fun. version. Yeah, I haven't done any research. I need to look and see if there's any good YouTube videos from, <laughs> from Riverside back in the day. I think I probably have some. Do you have some? Yeah, I think I have an in-car one. Where, where With like I a was, big a big VHS camera in the car? Yeah, that, <laughs> and yeah, I think I crashed, too. Oh, really? <laughs> I, n I never had any video on the bike. Um I did a, have somewhere I have a Betamax tape of somebody who videoed of me racing. Oh, yeah. But uh, uh, 
it's a bummer because during the time I was in like uh, Cycle News, which was a big paper magazine yeah. back in the day. Uh, like it was literally physically a large newspaper type of paper. Oh, really? Um, yeah, not like a regular magazine, but a big thing. Um, and I had articles in there every month because I was racing a lot. I'm like, oh, cool, another article, another picture, threw it away. There'll be more. Well, now I look back, I never saved any of those. So, oh, man. Uh, in this day and age with all the... You know, They're out there somewhere, stuff. man. It might yeah. be somewhere. They're out, out there. there somewhere. But it's just a shame I didn't create a little scrapbook. Because at the yeah. time, I'm like, oh, this is happening today. It's not a big deal. You know, you don't yeah. realize that it'd be a memory someday. You know? And what, what classes were you racing back then? Um, I did a most, my main track was Big Willow Springs. That mm-hmm. was my main track. Uh, but I raced all up and down California, went a little bit east. And I always wanted to go to Daytona. Mm-hmm. That was a dream. Never did it. My son Daytona raced Daytona 200 or something. Yeah. Or, my yeah. kid raced Supercross there. So at okay. least I got to live on, ride his coattails a little yeah. bit. But, uh, um, I raced a little bit of everything. I, I raced kind of an oddball class that was basically large V-twin bikes. Mm-hmm. And I raced this crazy-ass Yamaha that was just a ridiculous, stupid bike, kind of like my Subaru. You know, it made right. no sense, but it was fast. Uh, and I raced uh, some uh, FZ600, FJ600, FZR600, GSXR 750s, uh, uh, FJ1100, FJ1200, which okay. is just a big – these days you look back, it's like a big old touring pig. But yeah. in the day, it was a fast bike. Yeah. Um, was, was that back in the days when AMA was still scoring everything where, you know, one rider would roll, would ride multiple different disciplines and kind of accrue points? Or was that, or was that like back in the that. 70s? So I, I remember there, there used to be riders that would road race and flat track. And, oh, you know. no. I, I know what you're talking about. No, yeah. That was like, like they Bubba Showbird and Kenny Roberts days. Okay. Those guys were doing the flat track road. Yeah. No, that was, I remember that now you mentioned it. Yeah. But no, that wasn't what no, I was doing. I always thought it'd be interesting if they did something similar with cars. Yeah. You know, for, for automotive racing. Well, like that race of champions yeah. they have every year. That, yeah. That's pretty cool. But something similar, but to where it encompassed multiple different disciplines, yeah. you know, through the automotive hobby. Like, be it drifting and time attack yeah. and wheel to wheel and a bunch of different things. No, that would I think be it'd great. Be, it'd take a lot of money to fund, yeah. but I think it'd be it'd be kind of interesting. Right, I agree. That would be good. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, years of road racing was fun. Then I um, worked, in, worked for a motorcycle dealership for years, a couple of different ones, and service manager and stuff like that, helping people race, doing my own racing, and then opened my own shop in Santa Barbara, had kids, I had a little track at the house, a little more cross track. Oh, nice. We just rode for fun all the time, didn't do a lot of racing. Yeah. Uh, with the kids growing up, then I was doing a lot of kart racing at the time, because that was relatively inexpensive and accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, a there's a track kind of up by Santa Barbara, isn't there? Well, uh, there, there used to be a few. Well, Santa Maria had yeah. a really good track, actually. Yeah, I think well that known. one's still there, actually. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it's like a membership. You can get a membership there and go there wherever you want. Yeah, pretty cool. And then didn't Jim Hall have a kart they track? They did. Or they still too? do. They okay. actually moved the track, the Ventura or whatever Jim Hall track. They relocated a few miles away, identical layout as the oh, previous really? one, and it really is almost the same feel and sense. I mean, your your surroundings, your horizon visual is different yeah but the track itself is the same which is kind of interesting I, yeah. I drove that track a couple of years ago okay after not being it in a, in a cart in 15 years and was that the the track that they had set up by the pier or did they have another another um, track? well the original one was in the sand dunes by the power plant in okay. oxnard or port winnie whatever that area was along the shore there mm-hmm. south of the uh marina and then uh, the one they have now is more like in the middle of an industrial area more inland kind of more oxnard okay. i think but i'm um, I don't know. I know how to get there. I just okay. don't know exact. You know. I know for a little while they actually had one like set up in a parking lot by the convention center um, in Ventura. Because I was actually I was out here traveling with my dad, and we were just driving up the coast, and I pulled off just to check out the the water there. You mean at and, the uh, fairgrounds? Yeah. Area. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I never saw that one. Yeah. That and makes sense. I pulled up, and like there were a bunch of like concession carts that were racing around this parking lot. I was like, this That's is kind of cool. cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So thought that was thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, no, carts are awesome. Really, bang for buck, you can't beat a cart. Yeah, and uh, I got a buddy who uh, actually has about twenty carts, mostly oh, really? shifters, and some are four strokes for okay. beginners to. Uh, the European shifter car is not like a dirt bike motor, but an actual purpose-built shifter cart. Right. And he puts together organizations and gets people to rent them out, bachelor party or just fun days or whatever. And he also has uh, three radicals that he can bring. Oh, nice. Um, and he has a simulator built into an actual Indy car that's, uh, I can't remember, I think it's iRacing. I'm not sure the the format, but it's got three huge screens, feedback on pedals and steering. And it was great because I drove that a bunch getting ready for Texas and it really shortcut the learning curve because yeah. I've never been to Texas before, yeah. Dakota. So it was a, definitely not. Anyway, that's a, that, yeah. that's, I'm helping that guy try to get that off the ground. So that's kind of Yeah, that's fun. pretty cool. Like I know I know Mike has a couple carts. Uh, I owned a cart when I lived in Atlanta uh-huh. um, that I sold before I moved out here. There's actually a photo out there somewhere of my uh, Volkswagen sport wagon with my cart on the roof oh, cool. like strapped down because nice. uh, that's how i would transport it around <laughs> so um yeah, yeah carting carting is one of those things that if you have experience in a car and then you go to carts it can be kind of frustrating a little right, bit because there's that, yeah. there's a lot going on that you just don't quite understand other than the little street hot rodder guy you know terrorizing streets uh the, the carting was my first real four-wheel okay. experience and i did really well at it i mean i was fortunate to have some good luck. Uh, carts were a little unreliable, but I knew mostly what to do on them, and yeah. uh, and did real well. I mean, that's where I kind of realized that actually I'm a lot more naturally gifted in four wheels than two. Yeah, I probably missed my calling in that regards, but uh, but yeah, carting awesome, great. The worst, the worst to me with carting, and it's the same thing with motorcycles with a stiff suspension. Anytime you're on like a real bumpy surface, sometimes it feels like your eyes, your yeah. vision can't keep yeah, up, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just kind of frustrating. It's something yeah, you have yeah. to get used to. Yeah. yeah, carts are like really different because. I was never that good in the cart. And then my daughter, who's brilliant in the cart, isn't that good in the car. Hmm. And and she says, the you know, like being used to a cart, like a car feels really bad like to she's her. She's spoiled in a cart because it's so responsive. Yeah. yeah, she said the car feels slow it's like and dull sluggish and, yeah. and she can't see. She can't reach the pedals too good and she doesn't feel in control of a, a right. car. So... Um, yeah, she she's not making the transition to cars like I I thought she would, considering she was like instantly brilliant in the cart. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if her being younger, they typically have less patience. I wonder if she doesn't have the patience for the time it takes to let a car transition through a corner, or unweight or reweight or move around. I wonder if she just does. Um, I wonder if that's part of it. Yeah, I I, I think so. Um, I mean, like one of her problems in kart racing is that she was over aggressive. Yeah, and uh, and if you put that in a regular car, that slows you down. Yeah, like. uh, she had poor race craft because she was too aggressive. Yeah, I know when I uh, first started racing my Subaru, especially once I started putting some real power, uh, I haven't brought motocross and road racing and karting with me. I was constantly overdriving the car and not really realizing it was slowing me down. And people go for rides and usually end up seasick. <laughs> but uh, I was reasonably fast, but I was just killing the car. I couldn't keep brakes underneath me, tires. I was just brutalizing the car, thinking, oh, the car needs to be better. But I finally realized I needed to soften up my touch a little bit. And uh, and especially with a lot of power, it had to be a lot of restraint, actually, to drive the these high-powered cars, yeah. especially the heavy ones, you know. Now, for someone like yourself that's been in Time Attack for so long, you've obviously seen it change a, a pretty decent amount as yeah. well. I mean, back in the early days of U.S. Time Attack, you know, like when you were running in 07 or so, mm-hmm. I mean, what were what were things like back then compared to what they are now? Well, um, 
I was mostly focused on what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I, I know like in the street class, there's sometimes I'd beat an old track record by four seconds, oh, which wow. is a mile, right? Yeah. Um, that's just not available anymore because people are getting more competitive. Um, I mean, I I raced a lot up until like 2012 and then uh, stopped for a bunch of years to help my kid race motorcycles. Um, but their they're unlimited cars back then were only a little faster than my modified car today. Right. Um, and uh, so things have really evolved. I mean, there's some guys these days in limited cars going crazy fast. Like yeah. They've really stepped it up. Yeah. Don't um, some of your records still stand? Yeah, but I, I don't want to get too braggy about that because some are tracks that aren't really frequented very often or a different configuration. Um, the, the ones that matter the most to me don't stand anymore. Uh, that's like Bud and Willow. But there's been a whole bunch of rule changes since then to now, so it's kind of hard to compare. Uh, Big Willow, um, uh, Streets, I think I got the the record at Grid Life because I don't even know if they have an official record counterclockwise. So whatever my lap time was is probably a record, but I don't know if that's official or not. Um, but i like to uh, go back to Cal Speedway, try and get that back. Uh, and uh, just, you know, whatever. Those are the ones that kind of matter. Yeah. I, I mean, what's, what's crazy to me is, you know, back in the day, you know, at least for specific classes, running sub two minutes at Button Willow was was quite the accomplishment. Right. Yeah. And now today, it's I mean, it, it seems almost kind of the norm. Well, there's so many really good, relatively affordable cars. Right. Um, I'm not much into. I mean, I've got this stupid, powerful Cadillac, which is just more of a silly, <laughs> goofy car. But but some of the like, I, there's some guys in some Mustangs that are going, you know, mid to low fifties yeah. at Button Willow with some basic fundamental mods not yeah. really that much like sunny i think two years ago at Superlap battle sunny from 949 took like a just a you know gt350 with wheels and tires and maybe brake pads yep. and ended up doing like a like a 151 or 152 yeah. or something that's, that's, that's you crazy. know and essentially a stock car yeah and they're really good and i i know that i've worked with some people plus my own car trying to make it lighter more competitive and they really don't put heavy junky parts in the car that are easy to get rid of. In other words, it's really hard to make a car lighter because yeah. the stuff that's easy to take off doesn't weigh much anyway. Yeah. Um, to really make a car lighter takes a ton of money, way harder than horsepower or anything else. You know? yeah. Horsepower well, is not even a problem. What's really interesting to me, if you look at Time Attack, a lot of the cars that are still campaigned pretty heavily uh, are still kind of from like that early to mid-2000s generation. You know, I think it's because there's there's not a whole lot of electronics in them, uh-huh. You know, so they can still be easily modified. Um, but for some reason, you know, a majority of your time attack cars are probably from 99 to 08 or 09. Probably true, but I don't think they've been racing since then. I no, think they're just no. the, the yeah. carcass that they start with kind right. of thing. Yeah, right. Because uh, people say, what year's your car? It's an 06, but it's been completely down to the bare bones chassis four times since then. And uh, different harness, different ignition, different brakes, different, you know. I mean, there, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of parts that are original, like the shell and some detail stuff. But... There's not one piece in the car that I haven't got my fingerprints on, you know, one way or another, changed or adjusted or whatever. You know, having that car for so long, what was, what are like the three biggest mods that made the biggest difference? Um, Ultimately, brakes because Mm -hmm. uh, I like pretty heavy. Well, I just, I just was overdriving and cooking brakes and I'm way faster now with actually, I'm not even running brake ducting at this point and not having real brake issues. on a car that's similar um, weight and power and faster lap times than I used to do. So I'm le- learning to drive it better, but better brakes, just, you know, you, bad brakes are good for two laps and that's it. Um, suspension, getting the suspension dialed in. Uh, I started off, I won't name it, but I had some pretty crappy shocks at first that I got thinking I they were just stiff, which stiff alone didn't help. I thought right. my karting days meant I could just drive a stiff car, but <laughs> stiff is not the answer. 
um, definitely some aero. Uh, you know, people, my buddies for non-racers laugh at uh, cars with big wings like we have, and frankly, they are a little bit silly looking, but it makes it faster if they're mm-hmm. done right. You know, uh, you look at some of the fastest time attack cars these days are Civics, front wheel drive Civics. Yeah, like with wheels, huge rear wings. Yeah. And it's like, people laugh at that. And I'm like, yeah, come on out to the track. And, uh, you know, I mean, my, my analogy for that is if we had a race going down a steep hill, like steeper than Pikes Peak, but let's say there was like a five mile downhill race and all cars had the same wing, same everything. Um, would you not take a wing off just because your car's front wheel drive? Or what if we did that same race coasting? No power. Mm-hmm. Does it matter if the wheels that weren't wheels being driven? powered because yeah. the engines turned off was front wheel drive? No, I mean, it's still, you know, that would be kind of a fun series. Downhill coasting races, the arrow would still work. Yeah. If you add a little power to front or rear wheels or all the wheels, it would still, the arrow would still work. So, well, maybe we should propose to Pikes Peak International Hill Climb that there's yeah, a race a down race as down. well. <laughs> and we'll do it, we'll do it like we do at Bonneville, right? It'll just be an average of your two times. There you go. Yeah. There'll be something to it. <laughs> no, but it's a, so no, so there's the brake, suspension, arrow, um, but just fine tune. And tires have come a long way, you know, especially, uh, it seems like the unlimited class, you've always had the Hankook uh, C91s, I guess it is. And, mm-hmm. and now the, um, the A7s from Hoosier. And that's, I, I'm sure there's some other tires, but those are kind of the standards. Um, modified class hasn't really had much tire development by comparison to like the street tire class. Right. But, you know, the we street have, tires where like, where it seems like all the Well, the street are tires are so from. fast. You got 200 yeah. treadwear tires that are as good as almost any 100 treadwear. Yeah. The rules in like Superlap is to switch to a 60 treadwear and there's essentially nothing available in 60. I don't really understand that rule change. Um, Hankook had the TD, which was definitely turned the class upside down. Those tires aren't available anymore. Yeah, and they were hard to get at the time anyway. Yeah, and they're kind of question. They really kind of shouldn't have been there. It's kind of a sneaky tire, but whatever. Um, it's a. It'd be nice if somebody came back with a tire like that. But in the meantime, the the modified limited class tires have really not advanced much, and that's why you look at the gaps in classes, and you'll see that the street times are getting really fast. Modified times haven't changed much since the TDs went away. And, uh, and then the unlimited class, they're going fast, but not really because of tires, but more because of aero and power and yeah, driving. Yeah, chassis and, development. And, yeah. yeah. At yeah. least that's my take on it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think I would I think agree. Too. What's that? It's kind of what I think, too. Yeah. yeah. And they took away flat bottom in my class, which is a shame. And I know mine worked as a garage project, flat bottom in my car, but it worked because my car handled like crap when I took it off. So <laughs> I knew it worked, and now I'm doing other things to get it back. So yeah. that was kind of an unfortunate thing to take away, but whatever. They must have some reasons for that. <laughs> Now you just um, you just came back from Circuit of the Americas last weekend, right, yeah. you know, for the first Super Lap battle there. Uh, how how was that event? It was awesome. Yeah. It was uh, you know it, it's a chore to spend three days driving a trailer out to Texas, um, but uh, you know a lot of the East Coast guys have come west for Super Lap, so like they don't have too much sympathy for me. Um, but beautiful facility, uh, pretty well ran for a first event. Mm-hmm. Um, you know some teething pains and confusion, but whatever. The track time itself was good. The only Problems with track time was somebody who broke and oiled the tracks. Yeah, so you can't really blame typical, them. Typical, typical track day. Yeah, and you can't blame the promoter stuff. for that. That uh, yeah. that just happens. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it was it was cool. Beautiful facility, nice view. I had a bunch of friends. My wife and friends came out with me, and uh, they had great views. They had like a TV doing the live stream, but the TVs were everywhere, so people could see what's going on and kind of be updated. And yeah. they had a, a pretty cool uh, uh, online like an app that you could look at to kind of keep up with the lap times. It, it was a little confusing, but it was better than nothing. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah, and uh, I've got four sessions, so not as much track time as I would have liked, but time attack you don't get a ton anyway. Right. Um, a lot of people, there were some locals that were real fast, but a lot of people had never been there before. 
um, when a uh, first day Saturday went really well, we were running some old tires, low power, and uh, just trying to get used to the place, not hurt anything. And we set fast time on Saturday in a couple of sessions. So felt promising for the next day, but uh, next day made some bad tire choices and turned up the power, developed a little oil leak and that, uh, uh, that wasn't hurting us, but of concern and uh, didn't get the tires working. Finally, uh, second session put down a, a lap that the splits show would have been the winner you know the oh, money yeah. lap for the day but literally between this the second to last turn and last turn uh motor let loose oh uh, man which is actually kind of a an, an odd thing it ended up being a broken crank mm -hmm. that we'd actually ran the last three sessions with the crank broken unknowns to us uh, it was broken in front of the front cylinder and before the flywheel or before i'm sorry before the the damper you know mm -hmm. the pulley um so the the tip of the crank was wobbling so that seal wasn't sealing perfectly and it wasn't so a pressure spot but that's where from. my mysterious oil leak mm. that was so small it didn't really hurt anything it was just irritating to have it yeah and uh what ended up killing the motor was that the crank trigger is right there and so with the wobbling it took out the crank trigger and then the motor quit i thought i expected to see holes in the block but it wasn't yeah and uh so was was the damper not even rotating so you weren't no, getting was. any power any crank, I've, I've had another crank break another time from a different thing and uh, it act, when it breaks, they break jagged, hmm. and they still strangely turn. Huh. I mean, it's I've seen that a few times on motorcycles, different things where you think the broken crank, you'd have like one side spinning, the other side not. But sometimes, like in my case, it kept turning, and huh. uh, so ultimately, my DNF was an ignition failure. <laughs> but the truth, the root of the problem was the uh, crank breaking. Okay. But in all fairness, this crank had had at least 30, maybe 40 hours on it. Oh, really? It's a stroker. Subarus have some rod angle and length issues. And uh, and it, I just had the crank out and checked 10 hours earlier and it passed crack testing. I don't think it would have made it 10 hours if it had shown crack, you know, 10 yeah. hours ago. But I mean, I was going to pull the motor out anyway after Texas just to go through it because I had a little downtime. Um, and if I had it Magnaflex, it probably would have passed, you know? But then it might break one hour later. I don't know. Right. I, mean, I don't know if anybody's ever actually done a study that once you have a crack starting, how long until it completely cracks? Because if you see the crack starting, you throw it away, right? So right. who knows how long something can fail before it actually fails. But What what kind of power are you putting down now? Um, well, we we can make a ton of power. Okay. Um, I typically, for testing or siding a new track, or because I've made a lot of changes to the car in other areas, uh, we have our wastegate map is about 500 horsepower. Okay. Um, our uh, regular race map is just over 600 at the wheels, um, and we've made we've raced at 750 before, so wow. I always have that in my back pocket. Yeah, but uh, that's a time bomb. Um, I think we made 800 in the dyno one time just to say we can, but that wouldn't be raceable. Yeah. Um, but you know, seven 750. If uh, if I was going to the last session losing by a tick, and had nothing else to offer, I, I'd pull the trigger, right? But uh, you know. That's <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. I was listening to um, the smoking tire with Matt Farah, and he had Sam Smith from Road and Track on, and they were talking about some F one car that that he got to drive, and apparently, even just like revving it uh, eighteen thousand RPM instead of nineteen thousand RPM, it makes the motor last like four times as long. Right. You know, it's um, crazy, and I, I guess horsepower is the same way. You know. Well, it's funny. Horsepower is, but. Um, what I believe also is RPM, like you're saying, mm -hmm. we uh, with Harman Motive, they were the largest Cosworth retailer in the world actually at the time, and uh, so Cosworth loved us, and they were hooking us up with motors for my car, and uh, they said, "Yeah, run the 9,000," and I did, but it didn't really make better power. It didn't make me faster. I just felt like I was killing the motor, and it actually messed up my gear ratios because mm -hmm. I would shifting someplace different, and yeah, uh, and I saw 
I've been over the last few years going lower and lower revs and uh, I've got a, uh, I'm not sure exactly my numbers, but um, I typically shift at about 7,000, which is the stock red line. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've got most of my power at 4,000. So my goal is to just, sometimes I'll do a little sacrifice line in a corner to keep some momentum to so not have to go to third gear or second gear. But as long as I can torque third gear at 4,000 RPM, and I can rev it to seven. I got all the spread yeah. I need. And I'm really not I mean, shifting that often. Nine thousand seems astronomical for yeah. A, for it just a seems motor. painful. Yeah, we we had. Yeah, a, I'm just trying to think about it in my head right now. That seems well. Very I don't know painful. what is the worst thing about that. You know, obviously short rod ratios and blah blah blah. Stroker motors that makes piston speeds crazy. But um, the thing I think we had problems with was small end bushings walking. And hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's just us coincidentally, but. Um, so I think less RPM. Probably helps a lot us. of that is your piston pin. What kind of piston pin did you have? Um, what at the time those were Cosworth pistons and were, were they uh, tapered tool steel thin? Couldn't tell you. What, um, a lot of times it's the piston pin flexing and it grabs right. the bushing and spins it out. Yeah, it could have been something like that. Um, but I've seen it even with the stuff we got now. And uh, I, I'm a you know I love saving weight on my kids' motorcycle. Everything's weight on gram scales to be weighter and, and lighter, I mean, and, and smoother. And uh, um, so now, like in my car now, I've got uh, wrist pins that are almost solid, <laughs> like tiny little hole down the middle, super heavy, and it's just because I'm trying to fight that uh, bushing Yeah, that's, I mean, that, with turbo motors, that's how, you know, we build yeah. them here with uh, thick straight wall pins. Yeah, yeah. In turbo motors, you generally don't have to rev them as high. So. Exactly. And uh, it's it, I've been... I mean, at this last super lap battle at uh, at Bun Willow about last November, I beat my old track record with 500 horsepower that I set at 750. Wow, really? <laughs> and so I know. I mean, I don't have the current record. I'm saying I beat my old record. Right. But the actual current record best, is lower. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, my PB was. I did that with less power on used tires. Um, the track's been repaved years ago, but I don't think it has as much advantage as it did after the repave. Um, but just the car's working well. You know, I got a lot of. You know, I moved my driver's seat back 12 inches using some tilting pedals got rid of the abs uh using a different front subframe so i can get geometries better where i want it um i got some uh through hood aerodynamics in the front to really control drag and cooling and that seems to be working well i mean you know i don't have wind tunnel but uh people always ask how do you know if all this crazy stuff you do to your car works and i'm like well if i'm holding the trophy at the end of the day it worked yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's like i don't care what your wind tunnel says (laughs) my trophy (laughs) says more but um, and you don't always win. You know, like in Texas, I had that problem. I, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a crybaby, but I know I had the speed to win it, but I didn't. And uh, I'm sure there's other guys that didn't win it that think they had the speed, and they may be right, and they had a problem. So, you know, it's, yeah. that's racing. You have to you have to get the trophy at the end of the day. Yeah. Everything else is just uh, wishful thinking. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to watching that super lap battle, you know, event at Coda kind of grow yeah. over the, the next couple of years. Right. So yeah. hopefully they're, they're able to continue doing it. You know, I think for for this first year it was a you know a really good first year event and uh you know can only get better from there yep that, that track definitely likes horsepower oh yeah uh the mike mcginnis who won the yeah and the gtr Limited, right yeah yeah that, um, nice guy that nice car local guy knows the track uh he uh, uh his, he said his car has like 800 horsepower is trapped in like 175 i think he was trapping faster than life or or uh, anybody yeah um, but uh and by contrast, I, I on my 600 map, I was trapping about 160, which is fast for my car. Um, but it's hard to have a 15 mile an hour deficit, even though his car's heavy. Of course, yeah. GTRs. Yeah, but that's covering a lot we more have, ground. We both have strengths and weaknesses. But yeah, yeah it was. Uh, I went from my 500, 600 map and uh, dropped like two and a half seconds. I was learning the track as well, but it definitely liked the horsepower. Yeah. 
Now with a you know a kind of a a higher horsepower time attack car, when you're at the track, does it take more than just you to keep that car running and making every session, or is it has it been pretty easy for you? Um, preparation's everything. You know, I you go to the track, whether it's motorcycle track, car track, anything. Guy unloads his vehicle and he's immediately working on stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, didn't you have time to do that before? I mean, to me, I want to show up, double check fluids, warm it up, pressure, tire pressures, and go for the first session. Yeah, and then check a few things off the list um, each session. Um, obviously, things happen at racetracks, but I love being prepared. I hate being unprepared. That's yeah. like you know that night recurring nightmare of being naked at school and everyone's looking at you, just yeah. like, oh, I forgot clothes today. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing at the track. I hate being unprepared, which makes me. Oh, you have that nightmare too. <laughs> yeah, I think I think, uh, I think anybody who hates think being unprepared. Yeah. yeah, but uh, um, no, I just so I end up bringing a ton of spares, probably more than I need. Tons of tools. I mean, I'm a, been a mechanic by trade most of my life, and so I like having tools and spares and goodies. And and even then, things happen. Yeah. Right? There are just certain things that will fail that I wrap yeah. it up for the day. Especially uh, when you have you know large you know travel expenses too. Right. You got to kind of protect that investment to yeah. get out there. Yeah. You know, to make sure that you can keep running. It, it definitely. Uh, you know, when you're paying the bills and you've got other bills to pay and uh, both my kids are back in college right now <laughs> they, they both were done with school and then they both went back in uh, my oldest one's getting his MBA oh, and, nice. uh, which is he's doing great and my youngest one who was racing supercross is now wrapping up his college about to graduate this year so okay it's funny that at, in their mid-20s they're back in school but yeah it's for a good thing so when when your youngest son was racing supercross a lot were you essentially his crew chief I was everything yeah I was the uh, yeah, I mean, I did everything I could for him. Okay. Uh, built the motors, built the bikes, maintained them. These were actually bikes we bought ourselves and I modified. And uh, we'd literally park our motorhome behind a couple of dozen semis, and he'd go mix it up with the big boys. Won a heat race at one point in the 450 class, the main mm -hmm. class, the youngest guy to do that that year. I mean, so we had a good time. Yeah. Uh, it was a definitely fun experience, but it was, it was full time. Yeah. I mean, he was real committed to his training and his fitness and his uh, craft. And I was real committed on my side of it. And uh, we had some great years. I, I think he's like, a, I call him a one-hit wonder. You know, short <laughs> career in the main 450 class, but did really well. And now we're gone. So he had yeah. his one-hit wonder, and now he's off going to school. And Maybe he'll follow in your footsteps and start doing some time attack know, stuff I, I kind of wish he would because yeah. he's so talented in four wheels, uh, just like he is on the bikes. But, you know, if Dad does it, it's less cool because, you know, Dad's a dork kind of thing. I mean, <laughs> he likes it and his friends like it, but yeah. it's not his uh, focus. He like, he's a scratch golfer, just self-taught. Okay. He could make so much more money golfing yeah. if he actually focused on golfing. <laughs> so I feel like all these years, him getting hurt on motorcycles, I almost feel like a guilty dad. Yeah, I should have pushed him golf <laughs> in the beginning, you know, but it was fun. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, that's quite a, um, you know, quite a, a list of accomplishments that yeah. you've helped get your kids through and you know especially from from your accomplishments early on as well well people always say like uh, oh you know you shouldn't push your kid you're just riding his coattails or you're reliving your glory days i'm like hell yeah that's right <laughs> there's nothing wrong with from my side of the the team being proud of the bike i build the kid i've taught to ride since he was in diapers practically yeah um, i mean we had some trainers and coaches but you know i did 90 percent of everything he learned from me other than what he had himself or whatever. I mean, I feel proud about that, and there's no shame in that. I mean, I, I'm, I'll always be proud of that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and he did great, and he couldn't have done it without me. I wouldn't have been able to help somebody as well if he didn't have his heart into it. So it was it was a good thing. You know, you know I um, 
I didn't. I wasn't like able to race motorcycles and stuff growing up as a kid, but I did race BMX. Yeah. And just thinking about it now, I remember all the late, the, like the late nights that my dad would spend. Yeah, He'd get yeah. home from work, yeah. you know. He'd be working on my bike and then we'd be up at four in the morning in the truck yeah you know and he'd be taking me to the race so you know thinking about it now there's so many people. i didn't really think about it before but like i have a, a big appreciation for what oh, he did so to, much he'll you know, never make it know how much i did for him and that's fine he doesn't have to it's for myself anyway i mean i wanted him to be successful by his own right but all my work was nobody i didn't have to do it i yeah. did it because i wanted to yeah and we did the bmx thing too he was actually state champ in california oh, nice. one year he, nice. was, he was a little badass on a bicycle yeah. just stupid fast on it and his older brother was also uh, really gifted mostly mountain bike stuff also motorcycles but yeah just i mean kids only knew how much their parents did for them and i don't think they ever know until they do it for their own kids and realize wow my bike was always ready to go we were always up on time with a truck loaded with gas and spares yeah. and we were signed up we showed up and we already had a hotel ready and we you know it's like there's so much involved i don't care what makes me not want to have kids because I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm just too selfish well that's you know funny thing is um I'm, i am selfish and it turned into my selfishness of being successful with what my side of the team mm -hmm. right my side of the team was the bike the preparation the strategy uh, I'm, I'm a, i love strategy i watch formula one it's not even so much the fastest cars the strategy that happens yeah. one car in 12th place pits and that means the front three guys have to rethink it i love that it's just such an awesome uh, you know i think uh what i've lacked in physical motorcycle abilities or or racecraft or skills or whatever i think i make up for in the strategy side of it yeah at least I so, think so so talking strategy and applying it to time attack what you know what are some things strategy wise that you know, you think have helped you running time attack, obviously showing up with a, you know, a car that you don't really have to do anything to Ideally, that's when true, you first yeah. get there. Well, but. obviously the preparation coming into the event, mm -hmm. um, really understanding the rules, trying to take advantage of them. Um, I wouldn't sleep at night if I broke a rule knowingly. I mean, I'm kind of OCD like that. Um, so I'm really like to read and figure out rules and make sure everything's, you know, I'm legit on everything. Uh, and uh, understanding the, the format for the day, developing a strategy ahead of time, like what session we're gonna do what, and always be able to um, adjust from that because things happen. Um, but really just having your day planned out, your car planned out, your strategy planned out, your fuel, your oil, your crew, your food, you know, uh, it's so important, you know, especially like in the motocross where it's so physical, but even yeah. the car where it's so mental, if you're drained in energy, you're not racing well. So literally on the on the daily schedule, I'll write down when to eat because I'll yeah. forget to eat or drink because yeah. it's just you're so focused on what you're doing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, I think that's just race craft. I don't I think that's the word for mm -hmm. it, but just uh, figuring out, you know, it's, how to it's make more the, than just showing up and driving. Yeah. Yeah. And then but then on the track, there's a lot of strategy, like what do your tires do? How long do they go? Time attack. You need tires ready. First hot lap. And if they're still good on the fifth hot lap, you didn't go fast enough kind of thing. It's like drag racing, you know? Yeah. You want to be spent at the finish line. Um, and, uh, um, and I started using radios a few years ago, and that's been a huge help. People are like, man, you're in the car for one lap, big deal. It's like, yeah, but it still helps to have communication, finding a gap or mm -hmm. talking about a problem or whatever. Uh, so who's usually spotting for you? Um, well, sometimes my wife, but she okay. usually just screams if I get sideways, so that doesn't <laughs> help. I tell her she can't push a button. Um, but no, I got a couple of buddies. I got a, a, a buddy of mine, Roger, who's been involved in all kinds of different racing cars, motorcycles, just a good mind for racing, real mm -hmm. helpful guy. He, he actually worked for Redline years ago doing tech when they're in their big 
fancy stage, whatever. Um, I got a, another buddy of mine, Ray, who who's fabricates subframes, a great welder and fabricator kind of guy. He's been racing carts and different things his whole life. Has a Subaru also. Um, he's been there, done that, so he's kind of good to have in that camp. And I've even had my kid come help me before. Just oh, to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's less in, interested in what Dad does, but he's got the racing mind, so he's, yeah. he's helpful there too. Um, have you put either of your kids in the car, like a track day or anything? Um, I had a spec Miata. Okay. Um, when my younger kid was... 14 or 15, I took him to Cal Speedway, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I literally had the camera facing him. He'd never driven a, a – he didn't have his license. Hadn't, he'd driven carts before and was mm-hmm. doing a cart, but hadn't driven a cart. He'd, like, maneuver my car around the driveway or load it for me in first gear, but he'd never been out of first gear. Right. He literally pulls onto the bank and goes first gear, second gear, fifth gear. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that's not going to work. Uh, and it was just a speed venture day, fun day, but yeah. they had a Miata challenge that day that mm-hmm. I entered, and uh, – and I won it that day, like a spec Miata kind of uh, challenge. And I didn't enter him in it because I'm thinking he's barely going to know how to shift and get on a track. He would have had third overall. Oh, really? And like first day <laughs> ever in a car at Cal yeah. Speedway, like on the banking. I'm like, what the, I, should, I definitely underestimated him. Yeah. Um, so did you race spec Miata for a while or did you no, just have I one just one. as like a track day I, car? It was basically I used okay. it for just for fun. I did it. Uh, I kept that spec Miata legal. I was usually overweight because I had a passenger seat. I'd use it for instruction or fun, mm-hmm. take people for rides. Uh, so I never actually did a spec Miata race in it. Um, had it for a bunch of years. It was real reliable, relatively cheap, and finally sold it. And uh, I miss it sometimes, but uh, it's easier to focus on one car. Even yeah, know, my Subaru takes so much. And you miss. know the the Cadillac on 500 treadwear tires yeah. can be can be just as much fun, if not more. Yeah, I know that Cadillac's <laughs> awesome. It uh, it's definitely a monster. You know, it's so heavy it just kills tires and yeah. uh, and brakes. But, uh, now, do you ever wish you would have got the wagon? No, no. I mean the wagon's cool. I'm like got, I'm just a huge wagon guy. Man. I got a buddy uh, who I work with, a bird, um, Ian. He's got the wagon with a stick, and it's mm-hmm. super cool in a way. And uh, he kind of gives me grief because the wagon is actually 50-50 weight when mine is not. So the yeah. weight of the wagon actually. But, um, well, I remember the the story on the development of the wagon. I think. GM only needed to make like five of them to break even on the project. Oh, is that right? And they, they've sold like 600, almost 700. Well, I know, like right now, if you look at used. Oh, the uh, wagons cars, go the wagons for 10, 10 to 15,000 yeah, exactly. more at least. 10 grand more, especially yeah. with a stick. Yeah. Um, but no, so I, I got StopTex, one of my sponsors. They took such good care of me, and they, they're always hooking me up with brake pads for the Cadillac, so I, I'm covered there when I need to. And, um, and then I actually, the, the caddy came with 19s. I bought some 18s so I could use the takeoffs for my Subaru. Mm-hmm. So that, so sometimes on that day you saw me out of the track, I had the 19s on because I didn't bother. But yeah. uh, but otherwise I'll put like I've had some hand-cooked TDs or R8s oh, really? or whatever else on uh, on my Cadillac with 18s. They're like kind of small diameter for the car. Yeah. But they lower the car a little bit and they work pretty good. Well, I've, I've talked about it on the show before. You know, I had an S2000 that, you know, wasn't street legal, so I trailered it and everything. Uh, and then I bought an FRS that I just left, you know, street yeah. legal. And it's actually really nice just to drive a street car to the track, you know, run some laps for the day and then drive home. Yeah. You know, especially coming from a car that takes a little bit more care and preparation and everything. It's it's kind of nice just to go and relax. Totally true. My my thing is if I go to the track and drive 90 percent to keep the car live for the drive home, I won't have as much fun. Yeah. So I kind of need something that I can go. I mean, obviously, some days in the Subaru I got to back off on. I can't drive yeah. 100% if I got a nursing the problem. But I want to be able to go with the intent of driving 100%. And so that's it's hard for me sometimes to drive that Cadillac gently enough that I'm sure I can drive it home. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still fun. I mean, it's a that spec Miata I used to go to new tracks I had been at before. I spent a day in the track with that, and I own it 90%. So when I show up my Subaru, 
I'm almost there. Yeah. Um, which no, I mean, it's, that, Miata's great for training right. like that. Oh, it's awesome. Even though 100 horsepower versus hundreds of horsepower. Yeah. But it's still just to get the timing of yeah. the track. And that's and what you've the got. You've got more time to process everything, yep. you know? Yeah, exactly. But the simulator was good. We're trying to, I have a couple of buddies who've been at Coda a bunch and they know how fast I am relative to them at different places. So, so we had a kind of a target time that we suspect we expected to do and so i looked at the simulators on and tried to find a car that would somehow give me some comparable lap times just more for the rhythm of the track and and it was pretty good i ended up driving a ironically a ctsv oh yeah world challenge i don't know some kind of crazy ass cadillac um and uh the best lap time i was doing the cadillac and the simulator is 218 and the best in my car was a 221 but okay. i would have been in the high 19s if i'd been able to finish Maybe even better, but that, I was targeting that. So it's kind of a good guess to have that car. Yeah. It would it'd push if you go too hot and my Subaru pushes. And yeah. It would, uh, you know, it was actually an ironically good, good car for me to choose to drive. It's, it's amazing, you know, how far simulators have come. Right. To be honest. And, and I've never done any simulator anything before. So, oh, yeah. And being an old guy, I'm not a computer guy either. I think I've played Xbox twice. So it, the first time simulator, I was crashing yeah. every lap. Now, I, on I, the simulator that you practiced on, was it one where when you hit the brakes, it kind of like pushes the seat forward a little bit well, so you, you get a little more of that sensation? The, it's actually built into an Indy car. Mm -hmm. I believe it's one of Justin Wilson's old Indy cars from huh. like 12 years ago or so, or whatever it is. Um, and it, and uh so I could barely fit. I mean, I almost want to drive with my elbows out because I'm, I'm way too big to fit in it, but it's not managed. But it would give you steering feedback, pedal feedback. You could totally feel a push if you got a push or a lockup. Uh, the simulator's so advanced, you can change every little subtle detail of everything. And yeah. I didn't do that. We weren't, you know, f focused on that. Um, I actually talked to Billy Johnson. He walked me through the track, and he's got a MotoIQ article about Coda, and, which was helpful. And, uh, and I told him, I said, hey, if you ever want to come... Uh, Drive this simulator, I'll get you hooked up. And um, more than anything, I just love to beat him yeah. in a car. So, you know, it'd be fun if I could, not saying I could. And then he sent me a picture of his $3.5 million Ford Ecotech or whatever you call it simulator that I'm just like, oh, Whether never they have mind. A he or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's like he's, I mean, it's so sophisticated, yeah. expensive. I've kind of felt like, okay. Uh, you know, that, that reminds me, Mike, you know what we need to do? Since we were, we're starting to have a lot of guests here in the studio, we should set up a simulator and make all the guests drive. The same car at the same track on the simulator, and we can keep a leaderboard. That'd be fun. Uh, we actually have one. Oh, yeah? Uh, but Dayoshihara's using it right oh, now. Oh, really? Because you know like how he's racing that, that Super Trofeo stuff? Yeah. And uh, Just using it to get some practice? Yeah, and he's racing all the Asian tracks, so okay. he's using it to practice like those tracks that he's never never been to before. Okay. But I mean, I could probably get it back. Yeah. Or we could we could try and talk to Fanatec or you know somebody that makes some of that equipment, um, and see if we could we could get something to set up in the corner, and then you, I think that'd be something fun to do afterwards. You, you, you know what I want to do is, um, so we have this thing, and we go for a lap time, then we take a shot, <laughs> then we uh, go for another lap time, then we'll take another shot, and we, I want to plot to see how the lap times progress. It's for science. Uh, yes. For science. I think what you'll see, the lap times will drop at a, to a, till a certain point, and then after like X amount of drinks, the lap times will start you're, going back. You're up. actually accurate. I remember reading, I think, Cycle Magazine years ago when I was in my road racing days, and they actually did something like that on YSR 50s, little pit bikes mm -hmm. in a parking lot with cones, and a couple of guys were immediately way faster, a little liquid courage, yeah. you yeah. know, loosen them up, whatever. 
And some guys didn't because they knew they're drinking, so they like didn't want to go crazy. Yeah, they were like being super and, cautious. But it was interesting who went faster, who didn't, and then eventually they all went slower. Yeah, I mean, eventually it's in, you know. Maybe we could try different drugs. That'd yeah. be interesting. <laughs> we should we should get the FDA involved. All right, meth just this one time, <laughs> just this one time. <laughs> it's for science. Don't worry about it. Then we could have like hybrid cocktails, and maybe we could come up with the ultimate performance. Yeah, it's like, like a, a shot a of Jaeger and a, yeah, yeah, a Red Bull concoction, something. Yeah, just um, mix it all together. So now we're going to probably get raided because there's probably some <laughs> yeah. agency that's going to listen to this. <laughs> um, so what, what's coming up for you this upcoming season? Obviously, the car is kind of in need of a little bit of repair, but what's yeah, what's but, the season looking like for you? Um, it's hard to say. My uh, most of my focus was Texas. You know, this was kind of my big target. Mm-hmm. I am having one super lap last November was kind of a bummer because that made me all fired up again to be a racer. So I've been and just like much. that, like you're hooked again. Yeah, huh? I mean the car sat in a trailer for years. When my kid was racing. Mm-hmm. I, now that it's out and I did these upgrades and just put a lot of time and money and effort. Um, I haven't had too many sponsors per se because I didn't want too much obligation to people. So I've been mostly paying for things or doing it myself. But uh, some people come on board and helping out, which is great. Uh, but so I did the winning super lap i'm like okay now i'm gonna go to pri just to like get my eyes back on products because it's fun anyway and got some goodies and information and then the grid life thing was announced with a super lap and scca and all this stuff i'm like well that's exciting so grid life west okay i'll do that Mm -hmm. um and then the coda thing was announced and that's you know like i I never got to race daytona well i'm not going to pass up a chance to race texas yeah coda uh you know i'm it's not my heyday of being a young, dumb racer, but it's definitely, uh, I'm glad I did it. It was absolutely 100% worth it, even though I didn't have the success I think I could have had. It's, that happens. But, uh, yeah, so now I'm addicted again, unfortunately. Yeah. So well, hooked. we might have to get you out to one of our Grid Life events, either yeah. the, the Midwest Festival well, or I, the one at Road Atlanta. I, well, there's a, I think Superlab's doing an Atlanta thing coming up here, mm-hmm. and I've got uh, some people who want to go race and want to join forces and get a big transporter, and I'm like, Oh, don't tempt me. That's, that yeah. sounds so tempting, you know. <laughs> but but other than that, uh, I had a little motor prompt with that we'll take care of. No, you know, it's just part of. That's just part it's of. Just, it. It's part of the consumable. And it's a Subaru. Race. Yeah, a it's a Subaru. <laughs> B it's a race car. Right. Weren't you just trying to buy a new Subaru like last week? Um, thinking about it. <laughs> well, yeah, like a used one. <laughs> yeah. For for my daughter. Yeah. But. Oh, they're uh, super awesome, reliable, easy to work on cars until you do stupid things like I did with it yeah. and make it a monster. <laughs> what What made you buy your STI in the first place over an Evo um, or anything else? I honestly didn't have a brand loyalty to Subaru initially. Uh, I grew up, my mom's got a cattle ranch in Montana. I grew up spending my summers working a ranch and had a little Subaru station wagon. And I'd dr- rally that thing up and down. She had an 11-mile driveway, 11-mile long, and I'd ride, drive that thing sideways up and down every chance I got. <laughs> Sorry, Mom, if you're listening. <laughs> um, and it was just, I just beat the crap out of the thing and it just kept, it was slow, right? Mm-hmm. And it was mainly front-wheel drive because you could adjust it. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I looked to buy like a little sports car, I'm like, okay, I need a commuter car. It's got to be fun. I was driving, living in San Inez, driving to Santa Barbara every day. So I wanted something a little bit fun to drive. And uh, I looked at the Evos. They just felt cheaper as far as, like, fit and finish. Uh, the Subaru just felt a little more solid fit and finish. They're about identical performance, and I had no intention of being Ricky Racer with them. Right. And uh, um, and I just liked the rally aspect of Subaru. I don't know, whatever. I just It was just a toss-up between the two. In hindsight, the Evo probably would have been an easier car to develop into a race car. Uh, it just seems like an easier car to make fast. Mm-hmm. But uh, I chose Subaru and been pretty much happy with it you know yeah now i remember like sport compact car back in like 02 03 when they were first coming out that was always like 
a common thing. They'd compare the two cars to each other. And I think at the time, the general consensus was that the STI was a little bit more brutish and the Evo was a little bit more precise. So it just kind of depended on what you what you wanted. Could be true. Yeah. And, and it, there used to be huge rivalries between the two. And these days, I don't feel that as much. You know, I, I see someone with an Evo, there's not like the fur on the back of the neck prick standing up, you know? Yeah. And there definitely was for a while, which is silly because we all are just racing these little junky cars, making them fast. <laughs> it's like we should have sympathy for each other, not not <laughs> bitterness towards each other, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I just, in my head, back then I was living in Atlanta, and I just envisioned Southern California as being covered with, like, STIs and, and Evos. Like When I first got it, I uh, I was, uh, you know, in my 30s, whatever. I was convinced I was going to take the wing off it. I'm like, oh, that's just too flashy for a guy my age, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I'm like, you know what? If anybody doesn't like it, that's on them. You yeah. know, it's like, I don't care. So I left it. So I had the stock wing on it forever, but then eventually upgraded the wing as needed. But yeah, um, it well, kind of grew on me. It's kind of funny. Like, you know, I'm 31 now and I've been looking at Civic Type R's a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, man, am I too old to drive that thing? Like, <laughs> how's that going to look? Every five year old boy is going to be staring at <laughs> you know. when you're. <laughs> well, it's super lap. Uh, I mean, I've uh, just in the last 10 years, I got a lot more gray. A uh, little chubbier, older, and uh, <laughs> at Super Lap Battle, I literally, the guy in second and third were in their 20s, I think. The trophy girls were in their low 20s, and I'm like grandpa in the middle looking creepy, you know? <laughs> so it's like, on, on one hand, that's weird. On the other hand, awesome. Yeah. You know, that you're never too old, never too young. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's, uh, that's one thing that I hope is that, you know, a lot of the people that are into the sport currently continue with it for many, many, many years. Yeah. So. I think, I think it was Reagan years ago when he was running against somebody. And I'll ruin the the quote, but it's something effective. Uh, he's not going to let his age and experience be an unfair advantage to his, you know, competitor who's youth and ignorance or something. Like that. Yeah. So it was like people were saying he's a little too old for it, but he turned around and made it sound like oh, it's an advantage. And I do think it's an advantage. You know, I make a lot less of the dumb mistakes. I'm not. You're wiser now. Yeah, I actually am. Yeah. Kind of sounds sad and boring, <laughs> but um, you know, I don't make the piss and vinegar emotional. Mis- mistakes nearly as much i mean i always will a little bit but uh so you're kind of like the guy in the insure commercial is that for a uh, blue pill or what is that no you don't insure <laughs> that uh, like when you don't the have any you have any teeth oh yeah <laughs> you're almost you're almost <laughs> dead metamucil <laughs> uh it, well yeah like when you're almost dead in the hospital they give you that because you it has all the nutrients and stuff oh, yeah. you need and when when they have the tv commercials for insure it's always these men and women that in their 40s playing tennis that are all vibrant you know and i go that's that's not what the consumer of this stuff <laughs> is usually you yeah. could pull a ryan novak and just show up with like fake silly sponsors and one of yours could be insured <laughs> course light i was just over to shop and uh, he's got plenty of those fake silly sponsors yeah going on. no his 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 um subaru that he had you know when he yeah. showed up to super lap battle with it you know yeah. saying no back on the side but in yeah, the core is like looked freaking awesome he, he sold that car which oh, was kind of too bad because uh he'd done a ton of work in it and i driven a few times and it was getting better every time and he's really getting it to a high state of perfection and they just got burned out on it and sold yeah. it <laughs> seems like he's, he's been got focusing a, he's, on that civic he's got two that he's civics, had for a long time now actually two civics okay um one's kind of a crazy ass unlimited car and the other's I'm not really sure what class it is. It's not even necessary for a class. More like a modified car, mm-hmm. a little tamer, but still pretty crazy. I mean, it's still on slicks, but it's uh, something you know, NA motor, lots of revs. You yeah, know, just just a different style, and that's cool. He's got a bunch of fun toys. Yeah, every know. time I see him at like a super lap battle event or something, he tells me I need to stop by. 
So I, I've heard that place yeah, is pretty it's not crazy. Far. It's really yeah. close. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, Wednesday nights are the best nights. That's the Wednesday night shenanigans. Um, be prepared to, you know, like I said, you need your tetanus shot before you go there <laughs> <laughs> and uh, don't have anything serious to do the next morning. <laughs> yeah. No, a lot of the, uh, you know, the longtime listeners from Chicago knew him from yeah. when he lived in Chicago yeah, back yeah. long time ago. He wasn't much of a car guy back then, much. I mean, a little bit in here, yeah. like a really powerful Honda Accord, I don't know, whatever it was, some kind of crazy car, but he was a skateboarder back in the day, you know, yeah. punk-ass skateboarder kind of guy. But <laughs> no, he, his cars are always really nice. I mean, yeah, he, I've driven most of his cars at different times, and he wants me to go out and try and win a race, and I'm like, man, this car is the most pristine car you could imagine, and he wants me just to go rape it. And yeah. I'm like, man, I, luckily I've never hurt any of his cars. I mean, blown up a few motors, but not my fault, just something happened. But luckily I've never crunched his cars or done anything like that, but you know, it's hard. How do you go set a fast lap time without taking a little risk? Yeah. You know? no, it's funny. Most of the time when I see him, his cars are at the track, but he's not the one driving. No, it's always you, somebody else. Yeah. He had I driven like he has. A, he had a Ferrari for a while. Mm -hmm. It's 360 something with all the goodies on it. Car carbon and titanium, mm -hmm. everything. I'm like, and this is, you know, how do you drive something like that? And, you know, I can't afford to replace it if I break it. He yeah. probably wouldn't even care if I broke it. Yeah. But it's like, man, it's, uh, you know, an honor to drive it, but it's also a responsibility yeah see much wiser than yeah you used to yeah be. well because i know i'd have to pay for a young kid would go screw it and walk away you know yeah. maybe yeah well awesome well if people want to kind of follow along with you know with you for this season and future seasons where where can they follow along at um well i do have an instagram account uh, account that i just reactivated recently because i'm like too old for instagram but i opened it up and there's some stuff i'm still trying to figure it out i'm on facebook also uh and uh um so yeah, probably Facebook is the best way. Instagram, I'll try and update that a little better. I don't even have a Twitter account. So. Okay. <laughs> but um, but uh, as far as the rest of the year, I might do some races going into summer if I can find some that are interesting that would be meaningful or maybe test someplace that might be meaningful later. Uh, I do plan to go to Superlap in November, um, You know, keep improving on the car, and then Superlap the following uh, spring or winter, whenever it's going to be at Coda again. Uh, do some grid life stuff, especially become West. Mm -hmm. um, and who knows, just, you know, part of me, I put a passenger seat in my car. I never had one, which is great because uh, being able to take people in the car, it's just, it's so much fun to drive a monster. Doing it alone is kind of, you know, it's more fun to share the experience. Yeah. I took my wife in it. She's hooked. She's so addicted. It's crazy. Uh, and uh, which is great because she helps support the racing even more so because she has a sense of what it's like you know yeah it's hard to hard to appreciate what kind of violence happens in these cars from the pits you know watching yeah but the, these things are just flat out violent to drive them properly if, if it's not violent you're not driving fast <laughs> <laughs> basically um so yeah so that's uh that's the plans for the rest of the year just All right. uh if i uh don't do any races coming up here real soon i'll probably strip the car down to the shell and like you know every, every time you modifier makes something you could immediately do it better the next time and uh like i said i've had the car down to the shell like four times i i uh, was planning doing it this summer not to change class but just to upgrade the things i want to upgrade and uh try and take advantage of the rules you know some rules are more restrictive some are helpful uh just trying to figure out what you know what to do to make the car competitive me competitive and more reliable serviceable and, and just constant improvements yeah it, exactly it's an evolution and it's amazing how much that car's I just saw a picture recently of the car back in 2007 going, man, if this car knew what was in store for it over the next 10 years or more, is I never would have guessed. It's always rewarding to have, you know, one car for a long time through multiple different phases. True. I know the car well. And uh, I, I used to have somebody else do, like, pull a motor and do that kind of stuff. And I had some other people doing things. Well, now I'm doing it all myself, yeah. which is uh, 
uh, well, like I have a, I'll pull the motor out and take stuff apart and do diagnosis. But then when I need work done, I'll have like out front does the bottom ends, you know, they do a great closed deck clearancing for the stroker and all the big studs and all the, they know what they're doing on super motors. So when I say I do it all myself, I don't really do it all myself. I don't right. have a machine shop. I don't have my own dyno. I have church do the dyno. Um, but, uh, anything I can do fabrication or setup or strategy wise I do. And sometimes I do things that might not be the best, but it's my car, my way. And it's my button. It's seat, all just so. trial and error, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, for the most part, I've done some, made some good decisions, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, it seems I, like I, it. I'll I mean, make still going faster and faster. Yeah, no, I'm improving still, even as I'm getting older and fatter and the car's getting older. And, <laughs> you know, modern car, you know, the GTRs are so awesome, but they're heavy. Yeah. You know, they obviously, that's their Achilles heel. Uh, there's uh, just, you know, now they're doing a little different classing. It used to be separated between front, rear, and all-wheel drive. Now they're kind of combining it all yeah, together. Yeah, it's all just all within unlimited. Yeah, which, which changes my yeah. strategy a little bit because I have a, uh, more people I have to think about trying to beat. I mean, it's not wheel-to-wheel, -wheel, so it's not like a real physical beat down yeah. kind of thing but and we're usually all buddies it's you know we're not like chopping lines on somebody like you wouldn't motocross or wheel to wheel but uh what's well, interesting to me is now you know the cars have gotten so good and kind of people know how to tune them that they could really get get away with kind of getting rid of all the different drivetrain designations you know yes and, and, no. and everything stays somewhat well, competitive there's uh i mean obviously there's a couple of front wheel drive hondas that are blazing fast these yeah, like days like will and james yeah and, and that's yeah. they're not fast because it's front wheel drive they're fast in spite of front wheel drive right right uh and i don't think an f1 car would be front wheel drive if you gave them the option right uh ultimately i think a rear wheel drive should be the fastest because less complexity and weight and uh you know my car's so front heavy and it just stuck that way i can't change that much because uh, of the layout right it's like mm -hmm. an old 911 porsche backwards kind yeah. of thing I, I can't really do much <laughs> so i'm working around that um so it is kind of tricky to compete with all the different cars, um, but this, but you know, so I, I still like to recognize the fastest guys in each class, because uh, other than like the unlimited class, I don't think a front wheel drive limited class car will likely be competitive with most of the other ones, and that's kind of a bummer for them, and they, they deserve credit if that's their route. Um, but uh, but who knows? I mean, it's I got plenty of trophies. It's not about trophies. Yeah. It's about you know, this hitting your targets. Doing a, it's more of a personal challenge. Now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I like to win. I mean, I'll stand in front of a row of elevators and challenge the guy next to me, which <laughs> elevator is going to be there first, right? I mean, I'm competitive. I'm not going to lie. Like yeah. I said, you know, help my kid out. I love the competitive side. I wasn't just like a quiet dad on the sidelines. I was in it, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing ashamed, bad about that, you know? Proud of my kid? Why not? Yeah. I, I got a question for you as a motorsport dad. Uh -huh. Like, so you're the kind of opposite of me. Like my daughter was uh, really gifted, and she actually wanted to be a pro driver at one time when she was a kid. And then I always toned her down and gave her the reality thing, saying like, you know, like how how many pro drivers I know, and you know how few of them actually make a mm -hmm. decent living, and what your chances of being a uh, like a, a pro and being able to support yourself will be and i always told her this stuff is stuff you do is for fun but don't get your heart set on being right. a pro and i, I almost kind of like would not really discourage her but not really encourage her to uh you know live the motorsport lifestyle now that with your own kids i mean uh, your son was a pro at a very high level and did you encourage him to do that or did he have it within himself to um we always rode for fun and uh like you know most of the guys he raced against at the top level 
were groomed since mini bikes, you know, traveling the country with factory support, doing all the big mini bike races and amateur races. And we didn't do any of that stuff. We'd, we'd go race a race at Mammoth once a year, which was fun and big, but really just for fun. And uh, he was very, I mean, he was, you could tell he was a gifted rider, but we didn't focus and, and do stuff. So he didn't ever have like a titles they call it you know like when you're young and you're like the west coast champion at age 13 or whatever it might be never did anything like that you know did, we did, did the bmx but we didn't do any of the motorcycle racing that mattered he was he was in high school racing intermediate which is fast i mean that's you're not making money in intermediate but that's a high level amateur uh, just for fun um and uh, said he wanted to race supercross and i'm like you do know that you're like two steps away from being a pro and then there's supercross pro it's a whole different level you know it's like you can get your black belt but there's guys with 10th level black belts so just achieving the pro status doesn't mean you're ready for supercross and the it's uh, the that peak of that pyramid is very small <laughs> did, did i mean did he have the drive to do he that did. or well he uh when he graduated high school he uh went to his kindergarten class so they had a reunion and they had a time capsule and a time capsule he had notes in there and pictures and cool stuff and it said he wants to be a professional motorcycle racer um, there's a, a book or something out that talks about people who achieve their childhood dream are the happiest people in many ways. You know, you didn't get discouraged from it. So, uh, so he wanted to do that. Um, I told him, I said, I'll back you as much as I can. I just sold my business. Um, I had some, the ability to have time to help him. And I said, you know, if you want to do this, this is going to be a long-term full-time commitment and sacrifice. And, uh, and I'll back you as much as I can, but you got to, I don't want you to do it for a year and then once I'm 100% in with both feet you quit. So you got to like be in it, you know. We got to have a, a mutual commitment. We even saw counseling even though we got along great. We were like best friends, but we're in a motorhome 4 months a year racing supercross and going to Europe and tied at the hips. Even the best relationship with your kid will be strained. So uh, we did a lot of right things. I mean some a lot of wrong things too, learning along the way, but he really wanted to do it. Um, but he got to a point the last year he raced, it was kind of like, well, if, if the next year doesn't hit big, um, it's probably going to be it because he wasn't making any money. My older kid, real smart, worked for Salesforce, making a ton of money, getting his MBA now. And my younger kid's like, man, it's kind of nice if I had some money in the future. And the chance of my younger guy ever actually making serious money racing was slim to none. Um, although he had, he was uh, going to be on KTM the following year. Roger Coster's matter is going to hook him up. I and mean, we had, he had a lot of things going for him. Youngest guy winning heat races in 450 class so uh but then he got hurt real bad he got cleared to come back and he could come back and he probably would have been better and faster but it's like you know it's just a certain point the risk versus reward just isn't there yeah that and, was uh, a real close one and i know with my daughter when she moved up to 125s in yeah. the carts i started to get really scared for yeah. her because i mean those things are fast yeah yeah and and the drivers are brutal and you know here's my kid he was super young racing the pros against guys that spend a lifetime doing it and i'm like this is a little guy that i remember changing his diapers not that many years ago and he had a nightmare to come crawl in bed and snuggle with me and now here's amongst these you know animals at the pro level on live tv and these guys are multi-million dollar riders the fact that it's like we're on like dirt bike dad built you know i'm like man my little guy is just my little guy you know it's I mean, he's six three and two hundred pounds, but <laughs> but he's still my little guy. You know? Well, and he got hurt really bad. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was real bad. Like, uh, yeah, I remember that was really scary. Yeah, yeah, no, that was a bummer. He uh, just a fluke practice accident going into the fifteenth season. We're a week away from going to Europe and doing some supercrosses, and he had a crash, uh, bailed off his bike in a triple, and ended up with a, a 
a traumatic brain injury in a coma for a week uh flatlined on the way to the hospital broken femur face beat up a little bit uh ended up uh, getting pneumonia in the hospital and and had all kinds of complications had to learn how to literally do everything again you know you always hear stories about having to learn how to walk and i mean he literally had to learn how to swallow i mean he, he knew how to do nothing wow he couldn't even make tears they had to like put teardrops in his eyes every hour kind of thing it was rock bottom and uh, now i mean he literally was cleared for racing six months later which is kind of like it's pretty amazing yeah, yeah. It, and it's mainly because he was so healthy and so fit uh that he bounced back he probably had a couple of wine coolers in his life at that point but he wasn't a drinker never partied um and just being in good shape and it was just his work ethic towards racing and being committed to the fitness and the and all that i think uh he applied to getting healthier um and then uh, he basically picked up golf during the rehab portion and like i said now he could probably make more money <laughs> you know in supercross we were lucky on a good weekend to break even but that was traveling around the country and yeah. no real jobs but chasing the dream uh he could you know do better than that now playing golf and what's he gonna do strain a hamstring or something <laughs> it's almost <laughs> no risk to yourself to play golf you know yeah but. No, I mean, that's one of those things that, you know, that's always still there. And, you know, the racing's always still there, whether it be on yeah. motocross again or back in cars, if he still has that. Right. No, he's know, talented. So that's like a car. So. I mean, obviously, he, you know, like repeat concussion syndrome, having a TBI and another concussion is twice as bad. So we can't do too many things that are risky. I mean, he's, like I said, 100%. He's yeah. he's on the dean's list of school getting great grades. He's, I mean, he's doing great. That's great. Yeah. Which he wasn't a great high school student, but he's a great college student. <laughs> Uh, so it's a uh, you know it's straightened about a little bit in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, I do miss the Supercross racing, and I still help out some guys that are racing just to have my fingerprints on some bikes in the race, just to know I'm still connected. But <laughs> uh, but but it, it taught him a lot. Um, you know, it's like a, an ex Olympic athlete, even if they didn't win gold, but they were a top level athlete. That will always help them in the rest of their life. No, Learning sure. how to sacrifice, how to work, how to focus, uh, getting jobs. People love the stories. You know, mm -hmm. he was a like I said, a, a one-hit wonder rock star for a while, and uh, he, uh, you know, he, he'll always have that behind him. That's something that, you know, that's amazing. I mean, I, I can't think of many things an individual can do that's more badass than a Supercross hero. I mean, yeah. frankly, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd do it if I could be reincarnated. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would do. Yeah, I didn't have his skills, but <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you coming by. Sure. So and a hopefully, lot of fun and hopefully, beautiful. Uh, Moto IQ Studios. Yeah. <laughs> and the slippery casting couch. Yeah, I think I'm stuck to it now. Uh-oh. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, JC, we really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll have to have you on again sometime soon. Well, thanks. Sounds good. I'll uh, try and get Novak down here. We'll... Uh It'll be a different scene. With I him. feel like I feel like Novak. I feel like Mike and I need to go over to Novak's. I feel like that's a show that we'd have to do on location. Yeah, yeah probably, <laughs> probably. Yeah, like I said, wear your hazmat suits. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to get naked though. And, no, like, well, when, then you can't come. <laughs> when he starts getting naked, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, uh, Novak did a or we did a Hoonigan show. You know, one of John Nadiri's yeah. uh, silly little shows down there in the parking lot and. Ryan brought his Sylvia, which is a, just a beautiful, gorgeous Sylvia mm -hmm. that I don't really know much about them, but they're iconic in the JDM world, I guess. And uh, he asked me to come down to drive his car, and I, I didn't see one of their shows, so I didn't know what it was all about. And I'm like, why do I need to drive it? You're not going to race it. It's just up and well, it turns out it's like let's do donuts in the parking lot. Yeah, and, and it's I'm, a real tight parking lot. Yeah, too. <laughs> small and sticky because there's so much rubber down already. And so Novak's like, okay, you want to drive and do some donuts? I'm like, damn it, this is like exactly how I'm going to go down history is ruining this beautiful car, <laughs> smacking a wall, and and 
going into it, he and I just to be goofballs, uh, dressed up like the nerdiest golf, white middle-aged golfers. <laughs> I mean, we had, you know, everyone down there's got tattoos and piercings and hats on cricket and all that usual stuff. And, and so I show up in like some horribly ugly plaid shorts and a golf <laughs> shirt and golf hat and just to like look the dork part. Definitely not like their typical guests down there. So I did a bunch of donuts, did well. I mean, I, fortunately I didn't do anything dumb and did some good donuts, so it worked out okay. And it's got like 500,000 hits. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I remember seeing it actually. Yeah, it was, it was uh, just- that was, was, I think uh, that was one of Nad's first videos that he did for Hoonigan. Oh, was it? Yeah, okay. that was like right around the time that he went over there. Yeah. But, and I've known Nads forever. I got a, he did some great interviews years ago of me that actually were good. I mean, funny, but actually good. I'm like, wow, that actually yeah. worked out. But some other ones where he's just so drunk, it's silly. You know, yeah. I don't think he's <laughs> doing that anymore. He's maturing slightly, but. Uh, Older yeah. and wiser, right? Yeah. But no, that, that was a fun day with Novak. He's doing something down there with one of his Hondas, but it's next week or something. But that's more of like a check out the car. It's not drive it stupid you know? yeah yeah but i mean i mean it all worked out but i'm after it was all over i'm like what did i just do that was just <laughs> i'm too old to do things that stupid you know but i did it anyway yeah so and i don't even drink <laughs> it's like go figure the donuts are harder than you think yeah well funny thing is being a mechanic and car guy an engine builder or a racer whatever i'm i did like perfect donuts you know nice right in the meat of the power smooth steady rpm all that well then um hurt one of the characters they got down there he got in the car and drove it, and he just planted his throttle and was on the revel and bop, 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 just, just popping it the whole way. And they loved his version way better than mine. I'm like, but that's actually, like, no offense to him, but that, like, doesn't take nearly as much skill to drive it on the revel or just plant it. And I'm like... Plus the SR20, you're going to break it and kick yeah. the rocker arms <laughs> off. Yeah, and, and, and Hurt's a good driver. I mean, I, he's yeah. no... no not saying, but I'm just like. But if you notice, his car is always broken. Well, and, it, and it's not just <laughs> Imagine that. The, the I whole, think that's a running joke with the <laughs> Yeah, it is. is, right? Well, it's just the whole, and But I didn't realize that that's what they wanted. I mean, ultimately, they wanted the car to break, to hit something, to blow up. To, I mean, that would have been an upsale to the show. I'm like, well, they got, I'm not that guy. <laughs> you know? They're like, it JC, you're, just, to do you're that. too tame, JC. <laughs> I guess. It just hurts my soul to hit the rev limiter. Yeah. I actually got it. Uh, there's a live stream video from Coda. Um, we come at the front straight. And it's it's easy to run a little wide, and there's some really big rumble strips out there. And then you're shifting. Uh, I'm going from third to fourth, and uh, and a couple of times I didn't quite shift it perfectly, and, and uh, didn't know it, but my car apparently throws huge flames out the side. Oh, really? And there's a great video of me shooting just Fireball. a flame that's like half the size of the car. Nice. Off the side of the car. Nice. So it, uh, that was kind of fun. I'm thinking I might need to tell my tuner to tune it for. We got to find that picture, shift. and that's the picture that we we need to get for uh, for the I cover actually, for this. I actually still shot it. Yeah. Oh, can you get it? Yeah. So yeah. we can have. Yeah, it we'll use that as the, the cover image. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that'd be fine. I was gonna use that picture of you giving me the awkward hug. <laughs> awkward? I felt normal to me. <laughs> for Mike, Mike's like every hug's hot. Every hu every hug's awkward. Wait a minute. Speaking of awkward hug, where were you this morning, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a hug. Well, did he have both hands on your shoulders, or where was his other hand? Uh, I, I I told him that I better see both both hands. Well, you know, it, next. Oh, time... wait a minute! If you see both hands, <laughs> yeah, that's, a that's, that's that's a problem. <laughs> no, next next time, tell him to use two fingers. You know why? Get a second opinion. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> hey, you want to get your money's worth? <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming down, right. JC. Thanks. Really appreciate Good it, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you out at the track soon. Thank you for coming. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the pits at Gridlife to say hello.